writers. Welcome back to Story Magic, the podcast that will help you write a book you're damn proud of. I'm Rachel. And I'm Emily. And today we want to talk about genre with our very special guest, Savannah Gilbo. We are so excited to have Savannah with us today. Yay! Yay! Welcome, Welcome. Savannah! Thank you, guys. Welcome. Welcome to me. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) I love it. Uh, so we've we've known you for for quite a few years now. We've operated in very similar spaces, but um, would you tell us a little bit about you for our listeners, what it is you do, um, and why you're here today? Sure. So I am a developmental editor and book coach, um, very similar to Rachel and Emily. And uh, I help fiction writers write, edit, and publish stories that work. Um, Specifically, I love genre fiction. So we're all going to geek out on genre today, which is super exciting. And I have a podcast as well called Fiction Writing Made Easy, which is probably very similar in content to what you ladies do. So um, you can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. But yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Awesome. I have to say, I love your podcast. Oh, yes. thank you guys. And when my so my daughter my daughter is two and a half now, a little bit older than that. Um, and when she was first born was right around the time I think when you launched the podcast, or I had been out for a little bit because I had a backlog of episodes to listen to. <laughs> and so at night when she would wake up, um, I would go nurse her and put in my headphones and just binge through all of your podcasts, and it very much kept me sane because oh, that's, that's a so fun. really difficult time. So That's I'm up so fun. all night listening to your podcast while I'm nursing my baby. <laughs> so in a way, yeah. I helped raise your daughter. Yes. Is what uh-huh. yeah, there you go. Saying. You yep. can claim uh-huh. it. You love it. Been there from the very beginning. Thanks I for love coming. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I expect an I invite to your next birthday party. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I love the bite-sized nature of it too. I feel like ours, yeah. we aim for bite-sized and it never <laughs> work. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. Really, like you've got some really good episodes that are just really to the point about a very specific craft thing. And it's so, so helpful for folks. So it's oh, good. It's similar, yeah. but it's different. Go check it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Similar, but different. And I think that's what cool, what is cool because we're going to use like some of the same language today, which is really exciting. Um, mm-hmm. And so your listeners will hear, you know, some of the same things, but then we also have our own little flavors and people will connect to one thing or the other, just like how we connect to the different writing methods. Yeah. Um, so I yeah. think it's, it's pretty fun. I love that we're having all these new podcasts to listen to because I feel like pre pandemic, there weren't that many for writers. Yeah, I, but. and I a hundred percent agree. And we have some really high quality podcasts out there. There's yeah. so many that I just feel like I'm constantly waiting for the next episode. Me too. Well, I kind of have that problem sometimes. And then I have the opposite where I get the backlog and I'm like, what do I do first? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of good ones. Oh, I love it. So genre, what is genre? let's dive in. So when I'm thinking about genre, I like to back up a step and say, okay, what, why should we care about what genre is and how is that going to affect what we're doing, which is writing a book that we're proud of, right? Um, So you ladies probably see this all the time when writers come to you and they say, I have an idea, I have the passion, I have maybe the time, maybe not the time, whatever, but I have all this stuff. How do I turn it into a book that's like the ones I read? And the first step for me is always, well, let's figure out a container to put your ideas into. And for me, that container is genre. And we don't have to follow anything that we're going to say in today's podcast 100%. It's not a hard and fast rule, but it's a great, it, it really is a container and it gives you some guardrails of, okay, you bring the idea, you bring the cre- creativity, genre is going to help you kind of sort through all that. And then you can, you know, tweak things from there. 
Uh, but to answer the second part of that question, what is genre? There's two ways I think about it. The first way is you go into a bookstore. What kind of book do you want to read, right? What shelf yeah, are yeah. you headed towards? Mm -hmm. um, so I call that the commercial genre, and it's not a term I made up. This is a story grid term. It's a Robert McKee term. Uh, so you, your listeners might have heard that before. So that's one way. The other way is your content genre. So if something like young adult fantasy is our commercial genre, it's the bookstore shelf we're going to, uh, that could be a diff there could be so many different content genres underneath that label of young adult fantasy. Mm -hmm. So is it primarily yeah. a romance? Is it primarily a thriller or an action story or, you know, choose your own adventure? What, what kind of genre are you writing? Um, so I like to identify both because we're going to need something like young adult fantasy to market our books and to get agents and whatever we're planning to do. But we need to back up and say, what's our content genre to start writing the book? Mm, yeah. That makes sense. Absolutely. I love, we've been talking a lot lately about how like craft, right? And genre is a, is an aspect of craft is mm -hmm. all about reader expectations. And I think genre right. is where we like really dig into that because the genre that you read, especially in commercial fiction comes with expectations for like what you're going to mm -hmm. find when you pick right. up a YA fantasy thriller or a YA fantasy romance or, you know, the different, um, like whatever it is, it could be, you know, adult thrillers, adult romantic right. thrillers, like there's all kinds of stuff. But when you pick up those types of books, you know, comparative titles or, you know, books that are like yours, readers come to those books with with expectations and knowing what your genre is can help you kind of figure out what folks are expecting and like how to meet those expectations. Totally. Um, so we don't talk about it a whole lot, but I, I love that you do because I think it's really, yeah. It's really important. Yeah, and this <clears throat> this is something I can nerd out on forever. And I know that um, <laughs> probably a lot of listeners love, you know, Save the Cat. They also have a genre structure. So if yeah. you don't like the ones, the certain labels that we're going to talk about today, you can use whatever you want. But we really want to get that, like we said earlier, a container. And like Emily said, we want to figure out what are readers expecting? Because, you know, we could probably list like what is a young adult romantic fantasy versus what is a young adult crime fantasy or a young adult yeah. um you know action fantasy so there's there's certain books like because i read a lot of young adult fantasy there's certain ones i gravitate <laughs> towards and certain ones i don't and it's yeah. probably because of that content genre that i want one versus the other and readers are going to yeah. be the same way um the other thing i want to say before we dive into the weeds is that sometimes when i'm editing drafts i'll see that a story's broken more or less and it's kind of like okay what why do the what happened here right and sometimes like I just edited one last week where the beginning felt like a romance and then the end felt like a thriller and so mm. th thinking about reader expectations if that went to the bookshelf or the Amazon shop whatever they're going to pick it up thinking it's one thing however you you know describe mm -hmm. it let's say romance and then they're going to read the end and be like that was really unsatisfying to me yeah because it was a yeah. thriller ending yeah, that um, makes complete sense. I've been working through something very similar with a one-on-one -on -one client, a coaching client where we, um, so we in our programs with this particular client, I do a lot of plotting with her. I help her plot the book and then she goes and writes them. So we do lots of plotting together and then she'll, she'll write them on her own so that we can keep our, our schedule going. Cause she likes to have, she, um, puts out a lot of books a year. Yeah. So she had started, we had plotted this book last year, I think. And then she started writing it and got stuck in the, at the midpoint. 
and had no idea why. And she brought it back to me. She said, we need to dive back into this. And we did. um, And we spent probably three or four weeks really like grinding our gears against what was not working. Mm -hmm. Um, She writes romance. But in the second half of this book, it had become like a crime investigative story. Yeah. (laughs) And Mm. she just knew in her gut, like she hated it. She was like, I hate this. Why? (laughs) And then all of a sudden she was like, it's a crime novel. This isn't a romance novel. (laughs) And we were like, duh. So we had to go. We actually pulled that entire plot thread out of the book and redid the entire structure to like more fit what we had set out to do, which was writing a romance. And somehow it just got lost where we... Right. We started to really focus on the external plot and like build that out to be very complicated versus yeah, what we might typically do with a romance. So I I see this happen a lot when you're you have a subplot that starts to take over the main plot. So let's say you had a little element of that crime or that thriller and then it starts to, you know, sometimes I think because it's easier to focus on that external stuff and the external stakes, it just becomes a beast and it overtakes, you know, what you're really trying to do. Yeah. Yeah, I I think this is a really powerful tool to – we're going to get into the details right now, but I mean just knowing the work that we do and the work I want to impart on to our listeners and our writers is knowing this stuff is so critical to not only help you write the book, but to see when things do go off the rails, to like more easily notice those things and like get to the heart of the problem, um, hopefully sooner than if you're just kind of going around – in circles like I have no idea what's wrong right yeah and I think that's really cool what you said because you're right that it is a tool when you're first starting out you say okay what kind of book am I trying to write like where I might have an idea for a character or a theme or you know a few scenes whatever it is where does that kind of start to fit and then how can I use that to brainstorm how can I use it when I'm outlining and writing and then if I get off the rails I can use it to bring me back I can use it to help me edit. I can use it to help me talk to my ideal reader once I'm done. So it's a great tool throughout. And it's, I I would love to impart to listeners that it's not meant to be something that should be stifling. It should feel like a tool that's actually helping, you know, brainstorm, plot, outline, whatever, write your book. Yeah. I think that comes down to the difference between like rules and expectations, right? Is, Is genre is just, what are you coming, what are you? What, like you said, what are you trying to write? What are you trying to give to your readers? What experience do you want them to have? And oftentimes that's similar to other experiences they've had with other yeah. stories. And and that's why it can be so helpful to be like, when it feels like it's going off the rails, it's because, you know, that what you're trying to do is no longer coming through. Right. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, and it can be helpful to think about, well, what was I expecting to try to achieve and what would people, what would people be expecting to happen at this point in the story um, can help you answer those questions. But we're not trying to say it's like, Oh, romance has these rules and like crime has these rules. I think that can feel restricting, but if you think of it as like the vision that you have for your story and how you want it to feel, I think that um, it can open up all kinds of, um, all kinds of stuff that you can do and then like the cross like mixing genres i think yeah. would be really fun and having different yeah. genres and subplots so yeah um, yeah there's a lot you can do it doesn't have to be restrictive at all yep and just like you said it's about how do i execute my vision because that's what a lot of writers have an issue with right they come to coaches and editors yeah. for help and so you have to be able to kind of see the vision first then communicate the vision to yourself, to your editor, to whatever, and then eventually to your reader. And it just helps you do all that. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the, what are the, what are the details? If we're going to dive into it, 
Where yeah, do we start? Let's dive yeah, in. how can so, we use genre? <laughs> yes. So what I like to do in my programs and when I'm working with clients is I say there's kind of these five main questions that we want to we don't have to know the answer 100% before you start writing or outlining, but we want to explore them and say what pieces do we have to work with and which ones maybe which questions do we not know the answer to and how can we start exploring that. So I'm getting to these five questions because these are the questions genre will help us answer. So number one is what does your protagonist want and need? So what's their goal? And then kind of what's that inner obstacle that they need to um, heal or, you know, come to terms with their fix, whatever we want to say. It genre can tell us what's at stake. So what does our protagonist stand to lose or gain? Um, genre can tell us what happens in the beginning, middle and end of our story, not super prescriptively, but a framework to help us show that journey from A to Z. Um, it can tell us what emotions our readers are expecting to feel. So um, I worked with a writer yesterday who she she had like a flash of a scene and she's like, I just have to write this book. And we were like, okay, what do, what do we know already? And she said, I want them to feel this way. She really knew how she wanted them to feel. And I said, okay, great. That points us to this genre. Now let's start like working through the other questions with that nugget of an idea and start fleshing things out. Um, and then the last one is like, what's the point or what's the theme? So what's that takeaway? And genre gives us clues to this as well. So mm -hmm. those are five pretty big elements, right? Yeah. And all <laughs> yeah. of these can be answered Absolutely. or, you know, at least point us in the right direction just based on our genre. Yeah. I want to know more. How do we, how do we get like the internal obstacle and the need and like all of that from genre? Yeah. So, um, let's, let's look at, there's like two buckets of genres. Um, again, these are not things that I made up. This is, um, Robert McKee and StoryGrid and, and Sean Coyne. They've, um, really piloted this, but basically we're all probably familiar with what's a plot driven story and a character driven story or, something that's you know mainly external or mainly internal, right? So most stories are going to have both. Um, I'm thinking of something like you know Harry Potter where he's battling stuff externally, but he also has to undergo this internal change to be successful. So that's that's an example of blending um, you know a plot driven story with a character driven story. Um, and something that is, let's say mainly plot driven would be like Mission Impossible. Yeah, he's not really changing, right? He's just kind of um, tackling the external conflict as it comes his way. So that there's these two buckets. And then within these two buckets, there are different genres. The first one's an action story. And that's something like um, Harry Potter. Um, you know, any most of fantasy stories tend to be action. Um, it is things like Mission Impossible. Um, so that's things like The Hunger Games, The Dark Knight, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, Harry Potter, Dune, stories like that, right? Life and death stakes yeah. in an action story. Then we have crime, which encompasses mystery and um, crime stories. So those are things like Knives Out, Murder on the Orient Express, um, The Dresden Files, Sherlock Holmes, you know, typical crime stories. Then we have horror, which is, is um, it's an external genre. So that's like Alien, Halloween, The Shining, Carrie, all those really fun um, horror books and movies. Love, we have Outlander, Twilight, Pride and Prejudice, um, Bridgerton, things like that. Yeah. Which, by the way, have you guys watched Queen Charlotte? Oh, yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> so good. We're obsessed. So funny, um, quick story. My boyfriend is anti-Bridgerton, he thinks, and he watched Queen Charlotte, <laughs> and he told me that he was thinking about it for days afterwards. Uh, I love oh. it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Power of a good love story. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Okay, so then after that, we have performance. And this is like, um, you know, some of my favorite childhood movies, The Mighty Ducks, Karate Kid, The Natural, uh, The Queen's Gambit is a kind of a newer example mm -hmm. there. Uh, after that, we have society. So these are things like Animal Farm, uh, Little Fires Everywhere, Dead Poets Society, Thelma and Louise, things like that. And then we have thrillers. So this is um, Silence of the Lambs, Gong Girl, Sharp Objects, uh, stories like that. And those are th that kind of rounds out the external genres. So those tell us what's going to happen in the plot and what kind of external conflict our characters will face. Then we have some internal genres which describe more of the character's arc. So the first one is status, and this is something like The Devil Wears Prada or um, mm -hmm. Little Miss Sunshine, uh, you know, maybe even The Hate You Give, stories like that. Then we have morality. So this is stories like um, A Christmas Carol, Manchester by the Sea, that movie Flight. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Uh, it's a pretty, mm -hmm. pretty good movie. And then finally we have Worldview, which is tends to be the one that's the most common. And this is um, stories like Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine, Catcher in the Rye, Perks mm -hmm. of Being a Wallflower, Great Gatsby, things like that. So that's um, a very high overview of the genres that I like to work through. Um, again, you can find different ones if you go to like Save the Cat, if you go to any other methods, um, but they're all pretty much gonna get you the same information just in different ways. Yeah. Awesome. So is that essentially so, being like, okay, you've got these, you're going to have some kind of, most stories I feel like have, have both internal and external drivers yeah. to them. Right. And so you're looking at, well, okay, this is my external genre. And so that's going to give me ideas for my, for my external plot and like what's going on there. And then you can also look at those internal genres. Is that what you called them? Internal genres? Yes. Yep. So the external, you're right. It's it's more like what's going to happen in your plot, um, and then the internal genre is more what how's your character going to develop. So it yeah, usually gives an insight into into that need and how they need to change and things like that. Um, and I gotcha. thought it would be fun if if we want to walk through a love story because mm -hmm. that is um, we need an internal arc in a love story, right? So we can kind of talk through yeah. what the external piece is and what the internal piece is, and also. Um, love stories are really popular. If we're not writing love stories, we might have a love story subplot, which we can use this framework for. Um, so does that sound good? We can answer those yeah. five questions. Yeah, let's, do through them. let's do it. Let's okay. do it. Okay. And so I know you guys are um, fans of Pride and Prejudice. So maybe we can collectively yes. um, just kind of note some examples for listeners. So okay. the first question we can answer with the genre framework is what does our protagonist want and need? And in a love story, they either want to usually find and be worthy of love. So they want that intimate connection or they want to avoid that intimate connection because of their internal obstacle and because they don't want to be rejected. So it's usually one or the other. Um, but notice how that centers around love. So it's helping keep our story on that high level. Um, and then that internal wound or that that need they have, they need to overcome whatever misbelief is making them feel inadequate or unworthy of love. So if we want to use our pride and prejudice example, one of you guys want to take it away or do you oh, want me yeah. to answer? Yeah. Well, we probably either of us could, but yeah. Lizzie, I feel like wants she's, she seems interesting to me where she wants love, but she wants love without the burdens of class. So it's almost like she's running away from the marriage that her parents want for her. But that is what she really wants is to yeah. to find a loving relationship. Yeah, she wants yeah, that, that will allow love. her to be. Yeah. 
be herself. Yeah. 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 Right. And so uh, she needs to overcome that judgment of other people and judgment of what it could mean to be in a relationship with someone of a higher class, right? Yeah. Her pride and her prejudice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's yeah, question we, number we one. We call her, her internal obstacle is um, money makes people arrogant. So she has to, yeah, she has yeah. to get over that because that's in the way yeah. of her finding true exactly. love. Dismantle yeah. that belief so you can find true love. So that's question one. What does your protagonist want and need? Love story framework gives us a general answer and then you put your characters through that. So the second one is what do they stand to lose or gain or what's at stake? And if we know, you know, we're writing a love story, so they stand to lose or gain that love or intimacy or connection with another person. Um, so in Pride and Prejudice, I'll take this one. She, If she does not overcome that uh, misbelief that what was it? Love can, um, that money, money, makes, money makes people arrogant. <laughs> yeah. If she doesn't overcome the belief that money makes people arrogant, she will lose her opportunity at the true love she wants. So again, our love story framework gives us this guidance and we can put our own spin on it. After that, we uh, the love story framework can tell us what's going to happen in the beginning, middle and end of our story, as well as kind of what what types of characters we need. So what roles we need to fill and um, how kind of the key scenes in the beginning, middle and end and the character roles and settings and conventions play together. So I'm not going to go through them all, but there's things like a meet cute. So that's, you know, how the characters get together. They're going to have intimacy rituals. So like in Pride and Prejudice, um, they're kind of snarky to each other, right? That's their thing. Um, they have secrets. So secrets either from each other, secrets that they're keeping from other people, secrets that they keep from themselves unknowingly. Um, so if we think about Pride and Prejudice, do any secrets come to mind? Um, I say Lydia. Like yeah, when, so her when whole thing is yeah, her embarrassment. Wedding. Yeah, yeah. When he pays yeah. for Lydia's wedding and just Lizzie's own judgments of her family, I think. Yeah. So there's things um, like that. It's it's also, um, you know, I think uh, I can't remember. I can't remember how it actually plays out, but like the, the parents have their own kind of plans too that they may or may not say to the girls. Um, Jane and Elizabeth kind of share confidences and then, you know, maybe keep secrets from others. But yeah, the big one is Darcy pays for Lydia and when, or for the wedding. And when Elizabeth finds out, that's kind of what makes her dismantle that uh, yeah. misbelief. Yeah. Yeah. So after that, the next one is what emotions are readers going to expect to feel or as a writer, like what are we trying to evoke? And since we're talking about love story, we want to evoke a sense of anticipation whether these two people are going to get together or not. And by the end, we want to sit in that feeling of like, okay, true love has won. We feel happy, right? And then the theme, which relates to that emotion is, you know, what theme or topic is it going to explore? And our framework tells us we're talking about love and the power of love. So I think the cool thing about this is that you, you bring your idea to it. So... I had um, a writer the other day that knew her character. She knew what misbelief the character needed to overcome. And she's like, I don't know how to shape a love story. I don't really know what else I need. So we just said, cool, you have the character part. Now let's go through and, and kind of talk about the missing pieces based on the framework. And we were outlining like the next day. So it's super helpful. That's really cool. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, I can and see so how it's, with, I can just see oh, how I was it's just so helpful with uh oh sorry <laughs> go ahead <laughs> um i was yeah so i feel like 
I can see how it'd be so helpful, especially in those initial stages where you just have like a glimmer of an idea and you don't really have fully fleshed out three-dimensional characters yet. You don't really have like a fully fleshed out plot and you don't know kind of where you want to head that this can give you some like guideposts to explore um, Mm -hmm. without feeling like you have there's unending possibilities (laughs) because I feel like that can be paralyzing, especially in the beginning. I I like this too for if you're someone that's like an uber pantser and you just don't want to touch frameworks or anything, you can think about, okay, what kind of question is my story evoking? So what question does a love story evoke in readers? We want to know if the characters are going to get together or not. So is somewhere in the beginning and and if I'm a plotter, so I love the outlining frameworks, but I'm going to try to speak pantser language. Somewhere in the beginning of my story, I need to get these characters together and I need to raise that question. Right. And then by the end, I need to answer that question. So how am I going to get my characters from A to Z? Um, so that's like the bare minimum. And our framework can still tell us that. So with all these tools, and I'm sure you guys agree. It's like take what you need, put down the rest and just do your best writing and then use different tools for editing. You know, yeah. take what you need. Yeah. So I, I typically have a very strong vision of characters and a, a- vibes you know i i operate off of how the vibes gonna flow through (laughs) the story um but i usually have like a mood board and an idea but i struggle with an external plot or an external obstacle and knowing like what is this about what are Mm -hmm. we fighting against what's the story doing and i could i as you went through those questions and as you're giving your examples i can just see like okay well i know i want to write romance or I want to write an action story so that means the stakes are life and death or I want right and we're fighting against something that looks like this that would be really helpful for me as a pantser to just give me a direction of what are the expectations of this genre to drive what plot I'm going to eventually create right and you might think too that let's say you come with your idea and you're a you're a pantser and you're like, okay, I I have all this stuff figured out. I really don't want to make this feel um, confining. But, oh, I didn't know that I needed a, a mentor in my story. But the framework tells me that. So how do I feel about that? You might decide you hate a mentor character, right? Fine. Um, but think mm-hmm. about why a story like yours might be asking for that and what it does for the story. Um, and I actually find that whether or not you actually use the framework to write Sometimes just thinking through, okay, this is what it's telling me. What are the repercussions of that? And why might that be necessary? Can give you a whole lot of ideas that you didn't even know you had. So it's pretty worthwhile. It comes down to like, again, that feeling of like, what are people expecting to feel? And a mentor character gives a specific feeling to a part of your story, right? And so, um, you know, if you take that out, something's going to feel like it's missing, but you could find a creative way to, to bring that feeling back in in a way that's unique. Yeah, and that's why I think it's important to read in your genre because you can say, okay, I've seen all these movies or read all these books, whatever. The mentor serves this purpose. So I, if I don't want to include someone that reflects what other people are doing for their mentors, fine. How do you have that effect in your own way? Um, so I, I just think it's fun. I don't know. I think the framework is really fun to work within. But I liked, I liked what you said about... Um, you were saying something about action and I worked with a writer recently. She was writing action. She also has trouble coming up with plot stuff. And the framework was asking her, um, 
for things like a MacGuffin. So what does what does your antagonist want? It's usually something, uh, whether it's like an actual thing or whether it's access to something, like whatever it is. Um, and she's like, oh, I wouldn't have even gone there had this not kind of asked me to go there. And then it became this whole thing of, I don't actually know my antagonist. That's why I don't have a plot. Yeah. So it can, even if you don't use it to write, it can point out what you don't know and then help you develop things better. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So if I have a question where you you just said read a lot in your genre, and I absolutely agree. I think that so, I mean, so critical. That's a given. Um, my question is, we will see, I mean, stories change over time. You know, we had a huge YA dystopian hit 15 years ago. We had Hunger Games, Divergent. You know, we had yeah. all of that. There's trends. So how do you see, like, the genre expectations that work within this framework? Do they adapt to trends or do you see the framework shift over time? I think it can adapt and it depends. Like, there's always people that take this way too literally. And I think with most things in writing, it's like, it doesn't, you it, none of it's rules, right? So it's like, if, um, trying to think of an example of something that's within the framework that's within a trend um, so like love triangles maybe could be yeah. something where it's like sometimes they're in favor, sometimes they're not. Um, so again, I so this is like where it's okay. It calls for a, lo a love triangle. You might take that on the surface and be like, "Ew, I hate love triangles. I don't want to do it." Okay, yeah. So I would back up and think, what is the purpose of a love triangle? You don't have to do it where it's like, um, you know my protagonist um, has two hot guys after her and like, oh, how hard is her life, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can say, okay, what's the purpose of presenting her with two options for her future? And let's just say that um, you come to the conclusion that, okay, if I present her with these two suitors, one could represent the future she has based on her overcoming her inner obstacle. So he's going to put pressure on her to overcome that inner obstacle so that she can become the best version of herself and live happily ever after, right? Then the other suitor might um, compensate for her inner obstacle. So seems easier now, but will not pressure her to get over the inner obstacle and then she'll never change. So you could think about it like that. And then let's say you're like, okay, I understand that, but I still don't want to have two love interests as humans, right? So maybe it's a love interest and a job opportunity, or, you know, it's just, it's a, how do we serve the function that it's asking for without doing it the literal way that everyone else has done? Does that make sense? I feel Love like you that. just completely blew up not only my understanding of love triangles, <laughs> <laughs> but also like oh, uh, an honest way to examine the things you don't like about stories and yes. why and how you can still meet like why that might exist and how you could meet that expectation, but do it in a completely different out of the box new way that's going to likely serve the same emotional hit to your reader, but that is not a, a feature or a, a part of a story that you don't like. I've never yeah. thought of it like what thought well, of and, it like that. And most things exist to create conflict or to yeah. and or to cr create conflict and provide solutions to that conflict. So it's not just like I'm ticking a box because I have a love triangle. It's I'm putting yeah. this in because, like we said, it it pushes my character one way or another on her growth arc. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and I also think like I'm thinking of Sarah J. Mass, how she does the lo dual love interests where it's like 
it's not as um, cut and dry as some authors where it's like the girl only wants this one love interest and the other one's an annoyance, right? Sarah J. Mass doesn't do that in her book. She's like, they're both pretty darn cool. Um, you know, yeah. and same with like, I mean, Twilight, right? We have Team Jacob, Team Edward. There's a big divide. So yeah. there's ways to, there's so many ways to do it. And you can, anyone can execute something poorly as well. So it's not like love triangles suck. It's just mm -hmm. some executions we're going to like and some we're not going to like. Yeah. It's such a good way to look at um, like the rules, right? We've, we keep mentioning that throughout this episode because people get so stuck in like, oh, well, the genre conventions say that I have to do these 10 things for yeah. my crime novel. And I don't want to do, you know, a few of those, or I feel like I have to do them exactly the way they're presented to me. I think that's such an important, like, question to ask is like, what is it serving the story? Like, I love yeah. how you broke down like, okay, love triangles are common in these types of in X types of stories, because they have this impact because they present this dilemma that pushes the character, you know, along whatever path and asking yeah. yourself that question about all of the things that you feel like are rules <laughs> that you're chafing yeah. up against is really important. Because if you are just writing, if you're just sticking a mentor character in your story, because you know, the rules tell you that you need a mentor character, then you're probably missing out on the purpose of why you need a mentor character, right? Or why you could benefit from a love triangle. Um, and those that depth, that extra layer of like, why am I doing this? Um, brings right. intention that like, makes your story feel cohesive. I love that. Well, yeah. And to carry that example out, imagine you put a mentor in, you don't know why he's just there because he's ticking a box, whatever. Then you send it to beta readers and they're like, we don't really like this character. So then you cut it and then you're just totally missing that because yeah. you don't understand the purpose of what it was supposed to do. So it, it can have, um, I love asking why to everything. I always um, yeah. tell people to be like that annoying little kid that's like, why, 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 you know? Um, <laughs> but also there's something we talk about in my, in my program um, is that Sometimes you have to interpret these rules too from the author's perspective. So one of them, like we were talking about thrillers the other day, and it's like when you exit act one, typically the person in the protagonist in a thriller is, I'm using air quotes, you guys uh, who are listening can't see me, uh, but they commit to pursuing the crime. So you, the author, knows that whatever they're doing is committing them to pursuing the crime. The character might not fully understand what's happening, you know, they might um, decide to do nothing. And so they go to their job that day and then their job gets bombed, which then puts them on the path with, you know, the antagonist more. So it's, there's different layers of how we can think about it too. We can think about it literally from the protagonist perspective, which may or may not work depending on your story. You can do a hybrid where you're thinking about the conventions and the key scenes from protagonist perspective and the your perspective as the writer or just from the writer's perspective. It's really interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm like reminded of that phrase, which I know Emily and I don't really love, but you have to know the rules in order to break yeah. them. Um, we, we've talked about rules, not gonna say it again, yeah. but I think that this is a really powerful way to get to that point of yeah. I understand what these expectations are and here's how I'm either going to meet them or subvert them. Yeah. And here's how I'm going to, um, still hit all of those emotional markers that I need to hit, even if I'm yeah. not doing exactly what it is that this framework suggests in the way that it suggests. Yeah. Have either of you read Legendborn by Tracy Dion? No, but I saw you do your book club about it. 
Okay. So uh, the reason I'm bringing it up is because um, Abigail, who I do the book club with, we were talking about the climax because in an action story, the climax is like we say it's the hero at the mercy of the antagonist. And um, without spoiling anything for those of us who haven't read that book, they didn't, the author didn't meet the convention literally, but it worked. And so that was part of our, we were like, wow, this isn't the literal expression of that, but we were so satisfied as readers. And that's, I think what, um, you know, your coach or your editor sometimes will say, how do you innovate on this, right? How do you take what is expected, but make it different? Mm -hmm. So like, um, like you were just saying, we need, how do we um, have that emotional impact? How do we deliver on the why? and make the what our own, which is also why I like to think about conventions and tropes as different things. Mm -hmm. I like mm -hmm. to say that a convention is something you need. So the stories saying, if you want to write an action story that is going to meet the expectations, deliver this thing to readers because it's going to help you create a cohesive whole, right? So the mentor, um, the way you deliver it can be a trope, right? Just like a love triangle, the way you deliver it, there's plenty of love triangle tropes, right? rich suitor, poor suitor, you know, whatever. Um, so it's kind of like the convention gives you a blank coloring book page and then you color it in however you want. That makes tons of sense. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so if I were your listeners, I would be wondering, okay, we haven't talked about science fiction and fantasy much, right? <laughs> yeah. um, uh -huh. That wasn't on the list of genres, but you could keep saying young adult fantasy. So what do you do if you're writing fantasy or sci-fi or dystopian, whatever, right? Um, those labels are commercial genres. So we talked about that in the beginning where that's the bookshelf you're going to in the store. That's the list you're viewing on Goodreads, right? Young adult uh, romanticy was the one I was looking at last yeah. night. Yeah. Um, so that's like what you're going to because you're like, I want this type of story. Uh, underneath that label, let's say young adult fantasy or adult science fiction, whatever we want to pick, it could be an action story in a futuristic setting for your adult science fiction. If you're writing fantasy, it could be a romance or an action story that takes place in a fantasy world. Um, even historical, you could write a historical thriller, right? So these mm -hmm. labels more speak to setting um, and they're very important for, you know, marketing your book, getting an agent, whatever. Um, you need to know them for sure. They're very important. But to construct your story underneath that setting aspect, we need to find that content genre. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fantasy, sci-fi, historical doesn't really give you a whole lot to work with in terms of how am I going to structure my story? <laughs> what yes. is my character's arc going to look like? It's just kind yeah. of the the pat the I don't know, the place within packaging. which the story takes yeah. place. Yeah. yeah, the packaging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's um I work with a lot of fantasy and sci-fi writers and I feel like the number one theme I hear from everybody is like I think my story is just too complicated. And usually, like, sometimes it's complicated, right? Sometimes it really is. But sometimes it's because there are so... If you have 10 containers and you're trying to fill one up with liquid, but you only have one container's worth of liquid, you know, it, the math just doesn't add up. So we need to figure out, okay, what's the content genre? That's going to start helping you make a hierarchy of your plot lines, of your stakes, you know, because you could have a prim primary action story in a fantasy world with a romance subplot and that tells you the hierarchy, right? Yeah. Um, you guys yeah. were laughing. So is one of you in this scenario? We've just, <laughs> you know, that, that phrase that you get from clients a lot of like, yeah. this is very complicated. Um, yeah. And I, I think I know who Emily is thinking of. Yeah. 
there's a few there's a few of them (laughs) yeah Yeah, i love that i just i tend to see it a lot with fantasy and sci-fi where they just think it's so complicated because of the world building and not to say world building's easy because we all know it's not the easiest right but it it doesn't have to be so hard and so complicated feeling if you narrow down to your content genre and get that container for your ideas yeah yeah I have a question about internal genres. If you have multiple yeah. characters, like multiple point of view characters, can they each have a different con- a different internal genre? Like the, I think you you said status, worldview, and morality. Yeah, morality, morality. Yep. Yeah. So they can. I try to advise against this because we're trying to add up to one takeaway, one central takeaway. So um, we we actually just had a. In, in my program the other day, we were doing a group Q&A call and we were using someone's story as a case study. And she was like, I think I have one of each in my story. And I said, okay, well, let's try, let's for fun, let's just try to frame everything in that worldview arc. So for all three of your characters, is it possible they're all changing their worldview? Because I see a lot of people who think they're writing a morality story. And my example I always use is, okay, but is your character like Mr. Scrooge at the beginning? Because he's a true morality protagonist where he's just not a great person, right? Um, and and most of our protagonists are not going to be that way. Sometimes they will. But I always <laughs> like to say, how do we kind of get everything under one umbrella? Because chances are your protagonist, if you think you're writing morality, I would say it's probably not. It's probably they're just misguided. So they're taking selfish actions, but they're not mm. overall a terrible person. Um. So I would try to see if you could reframe it because it will make your life easier. And so same with status, like what's the worldview underneath the belief? Because the status story is about um, like in Devil Wears Prada, she wants to climb the ranks of the magazine world so that she can get other, you know, more legit job at the newspaper, right? Um, So it's, she has that goal of I want this thing because that represents something important to me, right? So- Mm -hmm you could reframe that in a worldview that her worldview says, if I get this, I'm going to get all my other goals I want, or I'm going to be important. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you, cause think about if you boil it down that way and one of them's talking about, I want this job because then I'll feel important. Um, or like, I want to become a knight because knights are chivalrous. Right. And then you have another character who's um, I need to learn how to love. And then you have another character who's um trying to learn about like selfish behavior. I don't know, I'm making this up. (laughs) If when our internal arcs speak to the main theme, what are we talking about with those three arcs? Now, if you switched the two, the the knight who wants to protect people, maybe you could go deeper and say, what is, how, maybe does he not feel self-love? Maybe is he doing, um, does he want to become a knight out of fear, which is the opposite of love? So I'd like to just try to make things more cohesive. Because I yeah. think it'll add up to something stronger. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Totally. Mm-hmm. I feel like I just said a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> it's complicated stuff. Okay. So how do people find out more about this? If they're like, I'm down. I want to like, tell me all about the genres. Where do we send yeah, them? Yeah. <laughs> so um, you can grab, you know, Sean Coyne has a book called Story Grid. Robert McKee has a book called Story um, I have done genre deep dives on my website. So it's just savannagilbo.com. Um, I haven't gone through all of them yet, but it's a work in progress. So you can see some of the key scenes and conventions on my site. Um, but I also love the Story Grid book and I love Robert McKee's story. So highly recommend those too. 
Yeah. I, I yeah, love how you break this down. Um, I, those books to me are very cerebral. Um, I mean, they're great. Like I very much enjoyed story. Yeah. Um, felt like I learned a lot, but I, I think when you have someone who's able to digest that information and then give it to you in a really relatable way, I would say that's you. So. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah so yeah. It, it, for listeners, I have, um, I'd say almost, almost all the genres done. There's like two or three I haven't finished, but you can get the conventions, the key scenes, and um, there's information about like stakes and kind of all the stuff we talked about. I also have a program. Um, it's called Notes to Novel where I have cheat sheets for each of these genres. So, I mean, have a look around, choose your own adventure. <laughs> yeah. And you talk about it on your podcast too. So uh, I do. that's another great place to look. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny because in my head, I'm like blog and podcast are the same thing, but you're right. I talk <laughs> about it on my podcast, uh, which is an basically an audio version of the blog post. So however you like to interpret or get your information, choose okay. your own adventure. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So next steps, go check out Savannah's stuff, dive deeper into this, um, learn what you can and take away what feels most powerful for you to help give you direction and focus and cohesion. Um, it's yeah. very effective whether you're a plotter and a pantser. And we we can speak to that, Emily being the plotter yes. and me yeah. being the pantser. Yeah, yes. <laughs> absolutely. And try to have fun with it. Don't let it be, don't let it feel prescriptive because as we've said yeah. a thousand times, it's not, there are no rules. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, we will put <laughs> all of Savannah's links in our show notes. Um, do you do one-on-ones? What if someone wants to work with you? Is Notes to Novel the, the right place they should go? Yep. Notes to Novel is the right place. We have group coaching in there. We have um, hot seats where, uh, you know, we'll take some scenes on camera and things like that and work through them. So it's the place to be. Perfect. Awesome. Well, go check it cool. out. Awesome. Thank you Thank so you. much, Samantha. Yes. This was really, really fun. Yeah, I had Yay. fun. Thank you, ladies. And I think we'll have to probably do more of these because we can nerd out all day. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm we excited. can. <laughs> Love it. If you want to build a successful, fulfilling, and sustainable writing life that works for you, you've got to get on our email list. Sign up now to get our free email course, The Magic of Character Arcs. After seven days of email magic, you'll have the power to keep your readers flipping pages all through the night. Link in the show notes. We'll see you there. Bye. Bye.